0: You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody inside outside picnicking way outside on the live stream so happy to have all of you gathered with us this morning it's a beautiful day this is like the most beautiful day in a couple weeks and we're together but don't forget the sunscreen outside all right because it is kind of toasty out there but anyway guys i wanted to start by just giving you a quick update because uh, last week I told you, hey, be praying for me because we're starting this nonprofit Serve City. It's going to be a platform for the churches of Huntington Beach to collaborate together, to serve together in the city, to love our neighbors and make Jesus known in word and deed. I had a meeting that was set with the city manager. You were praying for it got delayed. So that yeah, you know, that's local government. You know, you're going to roll with the punches, but I have it this week. All right, so keep praying. And we did meet with all the partner churches from our past. There's about eight churches present at the meeting this week. And I think all eight are on board for the work that we're doing. And we're calling a meeting together as nine churches to invite in all the other churches of Huntington Beach in the next three weeks. So continue to pray for this move of God that is stirring in the city at this time. And really, we believe, as I preached last week, that this is a move of the Spirit. Because it is the Spirit of God, like we talked about last week, that empowers us to perform miracles, yes, but even more so to proclaim and testify to who Jesus is. And when we talked about that power that comes along with speaking boldly uh, on behalf of God. Now, I was going to speak half of last week's message on that topic and half of the topic that I have for this Sunday, but I prayed about it, and the Lord told me, nope, you know what? Uh, cancel the vacation. You're going to preach completely on the boldness to witness last week, and you're going to preach completely on the power of Of unity that the Spirit brings in the church and that's the topic today so in fact I want to say this and this is interesting I needed to extend the series really the Lord was directing me because this is Pentecost Sunday how do you finish the spirituality series on any Sunday other than Pentecost Sunday seven weeks after Easter this commemorates the giving of the Holy Spirit right in Acts chapter 1 like we studied last week and that was really the day That the church was born, the people of God was born, and God gave us the power to be one, like I'm going to be talking about this morning. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11 of this chapter, and we're going to see this spiritual institution, the church, and how it was born of the cross. It was born of the work of Christ, and also born of the Spirit, and empowered and mediated by the Spirit In terms of our unity, okay? We're opening up to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, it's going to be a beautiful description of all that the church is because of what Jesus did on the cross. All that the Spirit is doing. And I want to say this, that as we pick up, we're in the middle of a thought that Paul is conveying. He's actually speaking to the Gentile believers of the Galatian church. So those are those individuals who are not Jewish by their heritage and by their ethnicity and birth. So he's talking about how they were formerly outside of God's plans. They weren't connected to God's people, but Jesus did something on the cross that brought them in, and it's part of this bigger picture of what Jesus has done. So let's pick up mid-thought here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and I'm going to fill in the context as we go. Again, looking at this beautiful picture of the church, what it is. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, okay, anyone who's not a Jew, that's most of us in here, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, before Jesus' work on the cross, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to God, Through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility with each other. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, basically every ethnic group in the world, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what we read here and what it emphasizes, I think, is one of the least respected outcomes of the gospel. Because yes, God's power and his wisdom in the cross was made manifest by reconciling people to himself. You know, through faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross, God has forgiven us, he's shown us grace, we are now joined to him and filled with his Holy Spirit. That's respected by Christians. But what's not respected is the wisdom and power of God made manifest through the cross to bring cultures and people together to make them one. Take a look at what's said here. Verse 15, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one. That is one new humanity out of the two, Jews and Gentiles making peace. Jews and every other ethnic group because Gentiles is just this bucket for everybody else. He's making one new humanity out of all the peoples on the earth. Verse 18, for through him we both, everybody, has access to the Father. There's not multiple fathers. There's one Father by one Spirit. And you look at the implications here that he spells out of what it means to be the church. And he's saying, look, that means no matter what your background is, all of you, through faith in Jesus, you're now equal citizens as part of this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And you're now all members of God's household, which we talk about a lot. Now that means we're brothers and sisters. We're part of the family of God. And I've said it before. I mean, you may not feel like family, but that's kind of irrelevant in the discussion. You know, it's something that Jesus has done. He has made us family with one another. You might not feel like family with your great-uncle Eddie, you know, but he's still your great-uncle Eddie, whether or not you feel like you want him to be in your family. And it's the same thing that exists here among the people of God. We are made family with one another. But really, the focus that he ends with, and this is important for our spirituality series, is that he says, you've also become the dwelling place of God's Spirit through our fellowship. You know, we we talked about this before earlier in the series, and we know this in spirituality, right? That we place our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are ourselves, our bodies are called a temple of God's Spirit because God dwells in us. That's a phenomenal thing to consider. Our physical bodies have become a temple for God. But he also says in a unique way, God dwells in the midst of the fellowship and interpersonal relationships that we have with each other. We together as the church are God's temple. Now if we look elsewhere, God's spirit isn't just said, because this is a theme that comes up many times, God's spirit isn't just said to be the like indwelling resident of what we are together as the church. He's also the mortar that holds the building together, that keeps people together as he lives among them. Look at what Paul says in Philippians, he writes to this church from prison, and he's saying, man, I hope I get to see you, but I might not be able to see you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got this dream for you. I've got this vision for you, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, and anything could happen. I'm in prison. I might die. I might not see you. You might have suffering. You might have hardships. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live up into the gospel of Christ. Then whether I have the chance to come to you and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know what. What's this one dream, this one vision for this church? That you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. They were standing without fear as one in the faith by what power? What power was Paul calling upon? He was calling upon the one Spirit of God. He said, no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, no matter who's opposing you, you're not going to have fear because I know you're going to live into this vision. You're going to be standing firm in the one faith by the one Spirit of God. You're going to be living into the calling. You're going to be worthy of the calling that God has placed on you. You're going to be living consistent and in line with what Jesus wrought through the cross. You're going to remain one people no matter what. That's the mortar of the Spirit. That's the glue, right? That's the adhesive of Christian fellowship, is the fellowship that we have where God's Spirit lives among us. You know, I know something about glues and adhesives and mortars because I lived on a sailboat when I first moved to California, and I had to work on that sailboat because it was a piece of junk. And I learned all about all the different types of adhesives, and there's like this miraculous adhesive called 3M5200, And if you apply it to anything, any two things, okay, it doesn't matter what they are, it basically adheres to everything on earth, you will seal those things together in a way that you can never separate them again, which makes for a real mess if you're trying to work with it, okay? But if you need to stick two things together and you never want them to separate, 3M 5200, okay? It has a seal that it creates that if you want to remove those two pieces from each other, you will have to break them. And you won't break them along the seal or the adhesive. No, the material itself will give way before the adhesive gives way. I mean, that's the only thing. You're going to destroy it if you want those two things apart. Now, that is how the Spirit works among us. That is the sort of unity that the Spirit produces among believers. And i got to say, as I went through this last year, and I saw everything that was going on, I want you to know I use spiritual 5200 okay I saw where everyone was coming from I saw all their feelings all their convictions all the emotions and I said you know I can step into your world I understand there's something higher I pull from in relationship to you you're over here I'm listening to you I can hear where you're coming from I understand but there's something higher I'm pulling from and it's the Spirit of God I tell you I'm in I was in all year long with all of you. If you believe in Jesus, you are seeking him. I was in with you because I follow the same Lord as you. I use spiritual 5200. But as we went through the year, we found out some people used spiritual Elmer's glue. I mean, that's all they had. That's all they had. The bonds were so easy to break. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. Because if you consider the weight of our unity, our union with each other was one of the primary purposes of Jesus going to the cross. You understand that, right? John 17, what is Jesus praying? He's praying for unity. May they be one. And what did he think he was doing? He was going to the cross to bring about that unity. To give the power of our unity, which is mediated by the Spirit of God right in our relationships with one another this is a weighty thing our unity when we come together and we're built together and stacked on top of each other we're becoming the dwelling place of God's Spirit so what you find as you look at the scriptures is that the fellowship of believers is a sacred institution it is a sacred institution that's why you can turn to 1st Corinthians chapter 3 where the church is turned into factions They're splitting up and dividing because of these human personalities and leaders and everyone's saying, I'm aligned with this person, I'm aligned with that person. And Paul's going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a sacred institution that God has created. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you guys know, you who are splitting up into all these factions, going all these different directions, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. If anyone destroys God's sacred temple, God will destroy that person. Makes me think of, I think it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when Uzzah you know, as they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. This is the throne of God, and it kind of trips off the oxen, and so he goes to steady it with his hand, and he touches the sacred Ark, the throne of God, and because he shows contempt for it, basically, that he thinks he can touch it, he dies on the spot. I mean, that's the kind of weight that I feel like is conveyed in First Corinthians chapter 3. Anyone who destroys God's temple will themselves be destroyed by God. You know, such a grave warning makes me really sober-minded when I think about some of the behaviors in the church in this last year. Often fueled by personalities within the church. You know, nothing has changed. Thousands of years later, you can't even conceive of how much time has passed, and yet same qualities going on as was in the Corinthian church. You've got personalities who are kind of fueling that division, On one occasion, when we were in the depths of our distancing, all right, I heard a brother. I heard a fellow pastor. Someone with more acclaim and a platform much larger than I will ever likely attain to. He demanded from his pulpit that all churches in America needed to regather by the following Sunday or else. Now, here's not what I had an issue. I didn't have an issue with the conviction to regather. I can understand that. There were Christians who looked at, you know, the rights they have in this country. They looked at certain convictions from the scriptures and they said, we should regather. And I say, I respect that. And then some of you were in that boat. And I go, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. I understand the other side. I understand there were Christians going... Look, because of my biblical convictions, what it says about being in submission to government, look, there's some government standards that have been set. I'm going to respect those. So that means I'm not going to gather. So I respected those convictions too, because I could see for them, they're deriving it from God. Okay? What bothered me about this was the or else. Regather or else. If you don't gather, he said, maybe you should never gather again. If your pastors don't call you to regather maybe they should never be respected again forget the tens of thousands of churches maybe even a hundred thousand churches that did not have the practical resources to gather sort of like us we didn't have a facility to gather in forget the tens of thousands of churches made up of Christians if not a hundred thousand churches in this country or more that had a different set of convictions Based on the scriptures no the only thing was hey heed my call or else or else you shouldn't exist anymore and the people cheered and the video was shared and the man was lauded and the church has grown substantially as a result of that messaging he got his wish he got his wish because here I stand on the other side of this year and I know pastors Who may never pastor again because of what they faced and I know churches that did dissolve fellowships that won't gather again because of the enormous pressure and because of a lack of resources and if you relish that for any reason at all who are you following who is it that seeks to destroy and to divide the church who is it that seeks to denigrate scriptural convictions? Who is it that seeks to dismiss the value of brothers and sisters who would show contempt on something sacred? That's not other than Satan himself. That's Satan. If you look more broadly at what happened this last year, in truth... That brother of mine could only do as much damage as the church, as the people enabled him to do. You don't send a general into army by, or into war by himself. You need an army, right? A general doesn't go out and fight the battle. He's got to have people. And there were plenty of Christian foot soldiers in this country that were ready to take up arms against each other. Which ought to remind us that unity in the church is not just the sacred spiritual responsibility of pastors, But unity in the church is the sacred and spiritual responsibility of everyone who calls on Christ. Everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I say sacred responsibility, that word carries with it an action. Responsibility means I've got to do something. You have a sacred responsibility to practice unity because you call on Christ, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why in Ephesians, where I began this morning... The outcome of the cross was talked about, right? In all these beautiful terms. This is what God is doing. This is what he planned to do. This is how he's going to show his power and his wisdom to the rest of the unbelieving world by creating this new humanity. But then if you turn the page and you get to Ephesians chapter 4, he doesn't just, you know, wax on these lofty ideas. He grounds it for all of us as believers. He says, okay, so if this is what God has done, what's our responsibility? How are we supposed to actually enact this and play this out? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, like I'm bound to the Lord. I'm bound to what he's told me, not what anyone else has told me. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. There it is again. You see that again? That's the same thing as in Philippians. We've got to live worthy of the calling. You know what God has done? He's made us all one. Live up into that. It's your responsibility, my responsibility to carry that. How are we going to do that? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Wait a minute, guys. How many lords are there? One. One. How many Christianities are there? There's one. How many faiths are there? One. How many baptisms? One. How many churches? One. How many spirits? One. Because God was making in Jesus one new humanity out of all the people. I've heard people tell me out of this last year, I can't fellowship at branches anymore because people of this perspective over here worship there. And I've heard it from the opposite side of the spectrum. I can't worship at branches anymore because people of this side of the spectrum worship over there. Guys, i got news for you. You're going to hate heaven because you gotta worship next to each other for all of eternity. When you and I think that way, we are swimming literally upstream against the movement of God's Spirit. We are working against the movement of God. You see what God has done from the beginning of history? You see what Jesus brought on the other side of the cross? You see what the Spirit is leading all of us into? We work upstream when we try to make something more important than the fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters. You see, the unity that I'm talking about this morning, it's not just this sentiment. It's not just this nice idea that floats out in the back of our minds like it's theoretical. Oh, it's future. It's something we can depend on. Let's fight it out now because we're going to figure it out later. It's It's not this ideal that's unobtainable. It's our mandate. It's our mission. Like I said, it's our sacred spiritual responsibility today. Paul says live worthy of that calling. Live up into that calling. How do we do that? How do we swim with the work of the Spirit? How do we move in line with what Jesus did on the cross? Paul says it. He says by being completely humble. By being gentle, patient, bearing with one another making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit with one another in love because of what Christ has done. So I can run you through the successes and failures of Christianity over the centuries, right? I can look at it a macro scale and say, you know, here's all the great ways churches have come together to be unified and here's all the ways that they have just dismissed each other and demeaned each other, even killed each other in the name of Jesus over the centuries in an ugly, you know, depiction of really Satan's influence over believers. I can go through all that macro stuff and we can just, you know, commiserate and celebrate those things. But I want us to think about it on the personal level. How are we carrying this spiritual mandate? What are we doing in our actions to facilitate this unity of the Spirit? As a believer who's devoted to the church, first of all, and as a pastor, I've had a front row seat to the most unbelievable expressions of love and self-sacrifice and fellowship and camaraderie that is really, truly miraculous. It was impossible, apart from the Spirit of God, many of the relationships that have even been formed over the last 10 years here in this fellowship. But I can also tell you I've seen the dark side of Christian fellowship. I've seen enough slander and I've seen enough resentment and blaming and gossip and unforgiveness and outright rejection to last me a lifetime. In fact, I want to submit to you that what I really believe is the chief problem of the church in the last 50 years has not actually been our unwillingness to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus and see people saved. I think you've seen a lot of people saved in the last 50 years. The problem for us has been after they are saved... Keeping them joined to the church. Keeping them joined to the kingdom of God, either they or their children. This is the problem. Let's say I have a bucket. It's a big bucket. It's a 20-gallon bucket. That's almost like something else. But let's say it's a bucket. It's 20 gallons. And I'm pouring two gallons a minute into the bucket. But I'm draining it three gallons a minute. How long until that bucket's empty? You know, you guys don't have to actually do the math. Soon! Okay, that's, I think it's 20 minutes, right? Because it's draining one gallon a minute. It's 20 gallons, 20. All right, yeah. I was okay with math. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter the rate at which, you know, the, the liquid is pouring into it. It could be three gallons a minute. It could be four gallons a minute. But what if it's draining five gallons a minute? It doesn't matter. That bucket is still going to be empty. You know, and that's the issue. Most people in America today have at some point been in the church. They've received Jesus at some point. Our issue is that we cannot keep adding bricks to the temple fast enough to keep up with all the ones that are falling off. And that's not to mention the ones that we're pushing off the stack through all of our dismissiveness and demeaning behavior. It really truly is incumbent on all of us. It's all of our responsibility to practice unity and hold others accountable who are not doing the work. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, says it all for us. In that passage, the apostle, I'm paraphrasing, he says, look, if you show contempt on a brother or sister, you do not have the love of God in you. He says, you could have everything else, basically, right? You could check all the boxes in our spirituality series. Oh, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, I do this, I do that. But if you have hatred, if you show contempt for a brother or sister, he says, your spirituality is a lie. You don't love God. The only way that you can love God is if you love your brother or your sister. It's a heinous sin, according to the apostle. What's sort of the heinous sin against pastors that will just sort of invalidate their whole ministry? You know, it's probably an affair embezzlement, or an affair. You know, if that comes out against a pastor, everybody kind of gets together and says, man, this guy's a fake. Everything he said is a fake. I don't even know what to believe anymore because of this person's error, and they just chalk it all up as a sham, right? Because there's a weight and there's a gravity to that sin. What if we had that same weight and gravity, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, about slander and gossip and unforgiveness and judgment among believers where if somebody committed that in front of us there'd be this gravity like whoa are you for real because if you operate in that you're invalidating the love that you say that you have for God that's how central this value of unity is so ask yourself have I lived worthy of this calling Have I lived worthy of what Jesus has done on the cross? Consistent with the gospel of unity? Or have I literally opposed the work of Jesus in the way that I have behaved? Am I completely gentle with other believers and humble before them? Am I patient? Do I bear up with their flaws? What I perceive as their ignorance? Do I make every effort Tell me you make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, or have I just dismissed people? Ask yourself. Ask the Lord. Have the Lord search your heart. Am I filled with unresolved resentment? Am I slanderous? Am I prideful? Do I show contempt for other believers? Do I divide? I know that many of you have been hurt. Okay, Relationships hurt if you've been a part of the church and you've really tried to practice what Jesus teaches you put yourself out there you have been hurt I have been hurt innumerable times in church fellowship and it makes you want to do all kinds of things it makes you want to protect yourself It makes you want to attack back right it makes you want to detach a bit more it makes you want to not get to know anyone else but God has given us our responsibility He said go be reconciled he said leave your offering at the altar and you do that round-trip journey you know multiple days there and back to go fix whatever's going on there he said I want you to forgive how many times do we forgive he said forgive 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 live open-hearted what does that mean it means you get hurt and then you love again And you love again, and you get hurt, and you love again because that's the love of God toward each of us that has been poured out abundantly on us in Christ Jesus. That's the unity that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's power. You know, I look at the book of Romans. Paul's dealing with a church that's debating over food. They're saying, I'm more spiritual because I eat this, and you're less spiritual because you eat that. And he says something so important. He said, well, this is what spiritual, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You want to know who's spiritual in the community? It's going to be the people working toward peace. It's going to be the people working toward edification and building other people up. He says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. How did you let food get higher than your one Lord? How did you let food get higher than the one spirit that you share in common? How'd you fight against the cross over food? They got radicalized in that day for all sorts of silly things. Christians have been radicalized this year to take all these secondary things and make them primary and somehow unity in our fellowship with one another has dropped to the bottom. What we need to do is put those things in their place. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of fill in the blank. If it's not over the lordship of Jesus, if it's not over, you know, the spirit of God himself, what is, what, what deserves to be in that place to destroy the kingdom of God? We've got to lower it down and we've got to lift up this value of following our Lord. Because if there's one thing that's bred into our identity as Christians that we are radical for, it's reconciliation. He bred that into our identity. He said, This is what you're going to be radical for reconciliation. Because Jesus was so radical for reconciliation that he laid down his own life. That we would be joined to God and that we would be joined to each other and all the hostility would be put away. Thinking of that, let's take these elements. You've got communion on your seats. I wanna see you I wanna see you take out the elements, you know. There's a there's a process here. Give you some time to work through it. In Jesus' day there was one loaf. And there was one cup, because that was the unity that was brought by him. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. All those different disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to pray for us as we prepare to receive this meal. Lord Jesus, this is what you brought about you were working to make one new humanity out of the many united under your lordship filled with your one spirit you gave your body your blood so that we could be reconciled to you for the forgiveness of sins and what you did on the cross Jesus is not just the power to be Reunited with you and filled with your Holy Spirit. It's the power that you gave us to be united and reconciled to one another. The forgiveness of sins would extend out from brother to brother and sister to sister. That we'd have something higher to pull from than the divisions of this world. The temporary things of this world. We can pull from your Lordship now. We can pull from what you've done by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see your church the way that you see your church. There is only one church. You are the one Lord. We are filled with your one spirit. Make us one by your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. you stand with me as we worship as we recognize as we move with the momentum of God's Spirit in these days for all of us to repent for all of us to get to a place of humility for all of us to get to a place of gentleness as we sing, just imagine all the pettiness, all the nitpicking, all the sizing each other up that goes on. And yet in eternity, we're going to be singing together. It's all going to be gone. You close your eyes. You could be there right now among all your brothers and sisters. Let's praise them this morning. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8:30 a.m., 10:30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.